Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Corner Talks podcast. Today, I have a friend and talented comedian, Andrew Packer. What's going on, buddy? How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Uh, Andrew Packer, uh, I don't know if people listening to this podcast or watching the video uh, format is familiar with your face <laughs> as I was when I saw you. A little bit of a starstruck moment, I don't know, um, because you have quite a reputation on, on Instagram, social media especially with, uh, you know, the frequent collaborations you've done with Nima Nazari, uh, another close collaborator, a friend of mine as well, a better friend of yours that you've known for a long time, which I'm happy to get into. Um, but man, it's been a minute since we saw each other at the Market Brewing Company, <laughs> where you uh, hosted a lineup of comics and performed your own stand-up routine. So it's a pleasure to have you uh, speaking with you again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Great. And uh, like I said, upon meeting you uh, in that so-called green room <laughs> in the back of the establishment, um, I instantly recognize you from your numerous uh, hilarious skits uh, that you and Nima uh, created together. Um, and something that when I was talking with you, I always have in the back of my head, which is why I invited you on the podcast, is what intrigued you about uh, comedy or becoming a comedian? Uh, I always just uh, loved stand-up uh, comedy. I used to, my earliest like memories of, of just chilling on the couch at home, like watching TV or with my dad watching like Just for Laughs on TV and just laughing. And then uh, I used to like, I didn't realize I was obsessed with it growing up, but then I like in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, I, like I used to always like quote comedians I liked. And every time I go, uh, I used to deliver newspapers. And uh, I, I remember I got like an iPod photo that was like one of those ones with the spinny wheel and everything and instead of listening to music I would mostly just listen to comedy albums on repeat like Eddie Murphy Russell Peters had just blown up Dane Cook was like the king of the game at that yeah, time and oh six. And yeah so I, <laughs> yeah. I and then Dave Chappelle and um yeah just like going through all those and I used to love just like listening to them over and over again and laughing and enjoying it and then um yeah eventually it just clicked in my head that i was like oh you can just start doing this and and hope for the best and yeah uh, for sure that's been kind of the journey that's amazing man yeah like it, it's kind of fascinating how you were explaining that um you know while kids were doing this you were doing that right like with comedy for instance like that was what you were listening to uh, as opposed to a typical what uh, 10 year old kid 12 year old listening to music on their way to deliver newspapers um i find that actually relatable in a way because i love storytelling i love human beings uh, connecting and conversing with each other so when i go to the gym a lot of people might be jamming out to the new drake album but i'm listening to joe rogan's podcast <laughs> that's that's what motivates me to keep going to the gym for some reason um so everyone everyone has their uh their niche right like what makes them uh tick i'd and, be surprised if people are listening to the drake album while working out that's just like i feel like yeah. the drake album is meant for like a bucket of ice cream and your your woes you know yeah honestly man yeah maybe it was the wrong album i'm referring to but i've heard it a few times but yeah definitely you you know my you my uh, gist of it right it's like they're listening to something other than a podcast so no, when yeah, i say I feel, when I tell people I'm listening to a podcast, uh, they're kind of laughing, saying like, you, you can actually focus on what they're saying. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I tune in and out, but I just love that it covers my whole session because a song you have to keep like changing and sometimes you don't, doesn't fit the mood. But my point being is that everyone is different and I find that really fascinating, uh, your come up, right? Um, but I want to know from you, like, did you, were you ever told that you were funny? Like, did you have that inclination uh, to pursue it because you've noticed like, hey, like my friends, my family, they laugh whenever I talk or like, I'm pretty quippy with my jokes. Yeah, I, it just kind of, I guess, runs in the family a little bit. And then uh, I, 
no, I wasn't like really the class clown or anything. I was more like if you were like close to me, I would just be like saying my jokes over to you, like kind of commenting on situations. Yeah, yeah. But like not observing. like the yeah, not really like the biggest personality in the room uh, by any means. That wasn't really like my uh, I was I, a little bit more introverted than that. But um, yeah, I mean, just one. It's more of like uh, I, I just came to the end of like university it was like did uh i was like three years in and looking at like all my job prospects and i had worked so hard to not go into debt during school like i i took on two jobs at the same time and all this stuff so i i wanted to have like a direction i, I was in business school so i was like ah maybe i'll have my dragon's den idea and Sorry. then uh i dragon's just uh, i started doing stand-up because yeah. i had some extra time in the the summer of uh, between third and fourth year and then just got hit with the bug of it and i would find myself constantly procrastinating studying all the time and what i would do to procrastinate is i would google comedians that i like and just read their wikipedia bios and just eventually one after the other reading that you i, I was like oh man like these are all people that just kind of started at some point yeah maybe around my age and uh yeah so i was 20 when i went on stage for the first time and then uh took about a year after finishing school uh, that I uh, decided I would go on full, like full throttle, try to pursue it as a dream. Yeah, that's, that's, that's why I love having these conversations, right? It's uh, highly, I can re resonate with uh, that story. I'm not pursuing comedy, but with filmmaking, it was the same thing, right? Like I always wanted it all my life. You know, I always felt it was a calling since I was a little kid. Uh, you know, I blame my parents for always situating me around a TV, watching movies with them. But um, you know, when I was in university, yeah, I studied marketing at Ryerson, but uh, my head was somewhere else. My head was in film and I was always researching like you, uh, heroes or people in the industry that you can follow, um, just how they made it, what they did, how they started, and then really diving into the craft, um, how I can make it my own. Um, and it's kind of actually funny because it sounded very similar actually to my story when you said that you were 20 years old and, you know, it was the first time you kind of went out 20 years old was my first short film, which can't even for the God, for the, for the sake of me, forget it, remember it. Um, but then I like that you said you gave yourself that room to now go full force uh, in your twenties. And that's something that actually stuck out to me when we first connected at the market brewing company. Um, a lot of people don't really talk like that. Um, a lot of people aren't really given the opportunity uh, to kind of pursue their dreams full throttle. And I like that you said, you know, you went, you went for it um, and you just saw how far it would take you and evidence now, like it's significant progress, I, I would say, considering when you were 20. Um, but I want to know now that you went full throttle and so far in the journey, did your friends and family, like, did they support you along the way or has it always been a struggle for you? Um, well, my parents are, are actually like super supportive. I can't like thank them enough. I, it was at a time because this is a very romantic artist, artist story, right? To be of like, course. but everyone said no to my parents. <laughs> even, they disowned me. They kicked me out of the yeah, house. Yeah. Everyone left. Uh, and it is like, and I always thought like, because I would used to listen to podcasts much like this one, like just trying to get stories of comics and people that I respected to kind of mirror myself. And I, maybe I did that a little too much because I was like, oh man, this is like, my parents are so supportive. I don't even have that like angle to go on for this artist journey. Yeah. But uh, no, like they, my parents used to come to open mics pretty early on. Wow. They, like they still reference uh, this joke that I made that makes me cringe. <laughs> but I, uh, this like joke that I made when I was like two years in, 
And my dad being like, well, you should bring that one back. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. So they, they've been super cool. And, uh, and I've been, um, I've, I've been with my fiance now also for uh, just over 10 years. So longer than nice. I've been doing stand up. And um, yeah, she's been incredibly supportive as well, as well as her parents as well. <laughs> like I'm, wow. I'm, I got a whole like family. Like, I, I mean, uh, my family, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be where I am at this point, which I mean, still have like a big, huge dreams of where I want to go, but yeah, of course. Uh, without the support from, uh, from my family, man, like, uh, it's, it's dope. It's actually, believe it or not, beneficial to have supportive family. <laughs> no, the reason, listen, the reason why I bring it up is because again, everyone's story is different. And this is why I love doing this podcast is everyone can share a different platform and, like you said, you can take inspiration um, or kind of lessons from different uh, creatives, uh, how they came up. But nevertheless, like I asked because with my parents, yeah, they were supportive, but uh, there was also many times, especially when I was first starting off that I was getting that constant voice, um, like feedback, like, when are you going to like apply for a job? When are you going to get out of the house? When are you, gonna, you know, like do something other than this dream? Because what if it doesn't support you kind of thing? Um and what I'm, what the reason why I ask you that is because like, even when you were mentioning about your fiance and their parents, like very fortunate for you too. Right. Um, let's be honest here. There's been a lot of people my age that, uh, you know, pursuing the arts, they'll say things like, you know, my girl wants to move out, but I don't have enough money because I'm pursuing this dream. Like, what should I do? Right. Um, and, and on top of that, you have their, your parent, uh, the parents of your fiance supporting you as well. Like, I remember that was a big predicament for me. Like, you know, when I was uh, first starting out and I would go around saying I'm a filmmaker, <laughs> like a lot of people, like the conventional path don't want to really hear that, especially when you're going on dates. Right? Yeah. So it's like uh, you kind of what I'm saying is make it your own. Right. Um, and that goes back to the beginning of like having the conviction in yourself to just kind of go for it. And that's something that I've learned for myself um, in this kind of journey. Uh, and I'm so happy that you had a, such a strong support system along the way. It's really uh, beneficial, like you said, to hear that. Yeah, you can have some real crushing moments, especially in stand-up where you're, you're going on stage, you're bombing uh, night after night after night. Like I remember being like two years in and just uh, I remember the goal even at that point was just like, if I could just consistently have laughs for five minutes that would be great yeah like, you know it's it it's uh because at the beginning man it's so hard you you suck you're you're like you're just bad people look at you and like you have nothing to offer this community and you need stage time to grow but why would anyone give it to you when there's so many other people that are better than you and like it's real yeah it's it was so tough man but uh being able to like come back to like um my base and just uh you know, have people that someone to hug. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Oh, this is, this is helpful. So. No, for sure. When you step off the stage, I, like I, I told you right when I saw you, right. I was telling everyone that night, all the comedians, like you guys forget if you got a laugh or you didn't, uh, the fact that you went up, you have the balls to do it. Like that should be something that you should be utterly proud about. Um, cause there's one thing to make a speech and speak in front of a room. Right. Um, and then there's another thing to try to evoke an emotion, <laughs> which is laughter. <laughs> Like, I still yeah. can't believe how you guys do it. Like, I was explaining <laughs> this to you, right? I'm like, it's not like you're going up there and saying a speech, right? You say a speech, some people nod, burp, leave, whatever. It doesn't matter. You said the speech. You have to get something out of it to be, make it worth your while, right? To make it considered successful. Mm -hmm. And um, again, that probably takes uh, years of, of uh, craftsmanship and just constant persistence. Um, I want to know from you, though, like, how did you 
kind of get to this point in your career? Like what steps did you take to ensure that, uh, how do you kind of like handle, um, maybe bombing or like success? Well, it's hard for sure at the beginning. Uh, like I, like I said, but you're always like learning that one thing I remember from my early years of stand up, uh, I would do crazy amounts of mics and I was, I was fortunate to come into the Toronto scene where literally my first like uh, year I was doing like anywhere between 15 to 20 spots, uh, a week. Right. Which, like and all like just like skateboarding around from spot to spot you're only getting like th- like four to five minutes on each show and uh i remember like a benchmark from a podcast that i heard said said like you want to be getting at least two hours of stage time a week which in five minute increments is yeah. incredibly tough yeah. but uh i always like put my base and my my confidence in the amount of stage time i could get um i've like I didn't, I was not like a natural stand-up comedian. I didn't, I don't think like I come off natural now and I've learned how to uh, reveal natural parts to my personality and mm-hmm. get more comfortable on stage. But when I say like I wasn't natural, I mean, I was, I was incredibly uncomfortable on stage at the beginning, just not good public speaker, uh, really just had to go trial by fire. And I put the confidence in the fact that if I get a lot of stage time, I will get good. And I still have a lot of focus on that as a comedian, despite doing like virtual stuff, despite doing comedy sketches and um, all of like the online social content. Most of my confidence is put on the fact that if I walk into a room where it's set up properly, I can go on there and smash because I do this all the time, always. And uh, like, it's just like, when you're doing it all the time, always it's, I'm, I'm going to get better at it. It's, of course. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, I, it's like reps at I, the gym, I, right? You get stronger. Yeah. yeah. I, and uh, I also, and I care about it so much. Like I wouldn't, every time I would go out and bomb, I feel like I'd learned so much. And uh, every time I was going out, that's what like helped me continue and persist is just being like, Oh my God, I'm learning so much. I really feel like I'm getting like my masters in comedy by just pursuing this and all of the worst situations yeah what do you think no spotlight no the mic's cracking out there's people (laughs) walking between you and the audience on the stage i did one show that was literally on a sidewalk where people were walking back and forth and they had a street patio where the audience was and i'm on the other side and i'd love to say that this was like two years in but no this was last year when i was in san francisco you know what i mean i believe that and then and i remember and i think there was one punchline that hit from that that i actually go like oh i riffed that in that situation and that might come in handy in 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 later and uh luckily as a comedian like i that same brain that i had as a child reciting all these comedian jokes yeah it's really a brain that just latches to things i think are funny so um you get these little nuggets from different sets throughout the the repetitions and then they become little like tools in your belt for places and directions you can go that are unpredictable to an audience who's seen you for the first time yeah, no, for sure. And that's something that I admire about comedians uh, when I watch them is when they incorporate kind of things that were unexpected or not part of the act into their act. Um, and they make it feel natural, or they at least acknowledge the elephant in the room. And what I mean is that for you, uh, at the marketing market brewing company, that uh, speaker uh, was acting up, uh, was making a lot of loud cracking noises. Uh, but you incorporated it into your bit. And um, you kind of actually uh, set the tone for all the other comedians. Uh, that were coming off after you to 
uh, do the same, right? Uh, because someone like me, would, that would throw me off, right? Because obviously I'm not a trained comedian, comedian and it's just in my character where it's like, this is highly distracting because I'm a highly distracted individual. Um, but you made it funny and you made it part of the act, almost like a prop. Um, and that's what I kind of admired about you is that you're not just going up there and saying jokes. Uh, like you said, you're kind of working with the audience, working with what you have, uh, being resourceful as well as observant. Yeah, when you're in the hosting position, you got to do that. Like, it just it just makes the show so much better when you talk to the audience. And yeah, like I have I have my sets where I love it, where it's all set up for me. And uh, if you're going to go and you're going to be the middle performer or the closing performer, usually everything's been taken care of. And hopefully you can just kind of do your thing. Exactly. But as the host, you're more of like the bridge towards the show. Yeah. The audience sees you and they you have to take them from regular life into this life where they let their consciousness open up and follow along. To you got to ease them up. Yeah, for yeah. sure. No, it, you got to warm them up. And that's, and that's what you did in my opinion, beautifully uh, because uh, I felt like everyone was relaxed and the tone was set. Um, and yeah, the night could carry on. So really, really commend you on that. Um, and now I want to get into now something that you're probably the last person I would have to explain uh, to, and that is uh, social media. Uh, you know, how effective and powerful this platform is and growing your audience and expanding your brand. So I've looked into your socials and uh, must commend you on your impressive following. Uh, you've accumulated over Instagram and YouTube, uh, even TikTok. Um, I want to know from you, though, why do you dedicate so much of your craft uh, to this piece of technology? I would say that the pandemic really put things into focus. <laughs> okay. And I needed a silver lining during the pandemic, man. Like, like I said, all of my confidence, all my like uh, my identity was kind of built off of being a comedian who goes on stage every single night. And that's why I'm getting so good at this and so right. good at being funny. And then uh, the universe was like, <laughs> no more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, yeah. all live shows gone. And I'm not going to say that I'm like, I'm not going to weep and be like, oh, I'm, you know, the only one that lost anything for the yeah. pandemic and stuff. But uh, for my dinky, stupid, stupid little life, it was very uh, cage rattling on my whole like identity. And so uh, right away in the pandemic, I started like making a lot more like TikToks and videos and stuff. And um, I had been learning to video edit like a long time before it and stuff, but not like put so much focus into it and then um now i'm starting to really see the benefits of it i've only like really had like some big surges in my following semi recently over this past like six months because nice. uh you know it's been like over like two years of like being consistent and pushing and uh like shooting things off into a void and like yeah nothing really gets hit hits right. you know um but there was a challenge of like learning how to do everything and um now i'm just like having that realization and like every day like sometimes uh i put up a clip the other day that um i was headlining this comedy club and unfortunately one of the shows only had 10 people in the audience and it was a room of like 60 that could have sat there but there's only 10 people so instantly like just from like going on stage a lot you know you're like okay i'm gonna make this a lot more conversational and i'm gonna give myself room to riff and right. which is just like when you're just going off the dome and uh so yeah, I, I was like riffing like uh, to this like lawyer and then he told me he does like uh, civil law cases and then we got talking about the Amber Heard trial yeah. and then I had like some take on the Amber Heard trial. They, they, the audience that was there, the 10 people really liked it. They laughed. Yeah. 
I obviously was filming everything. I film everything after the pandemic. Now I'm like anything. I'm just filming all the time. Of course. So I clip clip that up. And then despite there being 10 people in the audience that night that look at me and go, oh, that's a funny comedian. Now that video has been seen by over like 300,000 people. Amazing. Which wow. is like, then you just like, you take a seat back and you're like, holy shit. I just did something for 10 people and then 300,000 people saw it. Yeah. And instead of 10 people going, this guy is a funny comedian. Yeah. For a moment, for a moment now, 300,000 people are like, this guy's a funny comedian for like a second. And, it, and so yeah. like doing that every single day, all the time, I think it's, uh, it's inevitable. Eventually I will build a following. Yeah. It takes the pressure off too, especially someone in your field, right? If you think about it. So if you go imagine if social media didn't exist, you have to make those 10 people like you funny, uh, make them laugh. I mean, uh, you never know if there's a scout, but when you go to these shows, yeah, there's 10 people, but you know, if this thing is recorded, maybe these guys don't laugh, but I know 300,000 will view it and maybe 10,000 will laugh. You know what I mean? It's like that possibility uh, of you just basically what's the most optimal way you can reach your audience. And by you taking advantage of social media can only benefit your career and your brand, which is what you're doing. Um, so I think that's really cool. And uh, yeah. Am I right about that? Does it take the pressure off in a way? When I wouldn't say things? it takes the pressure off. Uh, no. It's a visceral experience going yeah. on stage in front of everyone. It doesn't change or get easier. You get that, those feelings through your whole body and how it starts pumping yeah. at first, like those 30 seconds leading up until I'm going on stage, my heart's going, it's excitement though, man. It's good energy. It's, it's like, rush, like yeah. I want this to go well. Right. And like, it's like jumping out of a plane. You're just so stoked. And, um, but like you want to crush, like it'd be very rare for a comedian to put up a, a joke of his that bombed in front of the crowd in front of him. Oh, and I got you. Okay. Still expect like other people to think it's funny. Right. But the, so the pressure is actually in some ways it's higher because it's changing the way we write. It's changing the way we perform. I've always been somebody who likes to incorporate like anything in all the time can go into the act like if you want like the stuff on script if you guys are going to be on game for that then i'm going to do that right. but the second you guys start to fall off or if i just get distracted by something or i'll do it intentionally just to, so that i can get a moment where it's like genuinely happening in the moment because uh those those are so useful for content like i don't it takes years sometimes to craft material and craft a perspective and guide everyone's differing perspectives down this line of thought so that you can get them and surprise them and do something something unique that matters to you but also these moments that just rip in the moment and like will never happen again they're yeah. so useful for content because i can go put it up um you know i can like showcase like if that i'm quick sometimes <laughs> sometimes yeah. i'm not but uh you know like i, I have my moments now and I, it's suddenly new too i'm just getting I feel like I'm getting into like a groove where I have so much further I can go as a comedian, but I'm in like a uh, functional professional area at the moment, which is really nice to be in. That's amazing, man. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that would make sense. Like you would know best if uh, someone in your field, like <laughs> the pressure is not taken off. And that would make more sense too, uh, uh, actually, when you think about it, that the live audience, uh, you know, even if it is a dry crowd will kind of dictate or kind of give you an idea of what is a, what hit and what's not, um, you know, going yeah, back and to, to, sorry, to yeah, the degree, ahead. like I want the pressure, like I want to feel, yeah. if I don't feel nervous before a show, I'm like asking myself if I care enough. Like I See, want, yeah, I like that. Like, yeah. cause I'm not every night we go out. Yeah. Like I'm playing the 10 people, but I'm also playing to a million. Yeah. 
Because if it goes well enough, if I'm able to be quick in those moments, if I have that comfort and that base to like rip into something and, and dig deeper and ask the right questions, follow curiosity, and then rip punchlines out of that, then like now I'm like, I have the potential for that to really fucking launch a career. Any, It's like hitting a slot machine, but any moment clipped up properly could become the thing that gets me to that next level. So exactly. Pressure's That's, on, baby. It's <laughs> well said, man. That's what I was talking to you about. I don't know if I was having this. I can't remember if I was having the conversation with you, but um, you know, when I go on my sets, I'm not performing for a live audience. If you think about it, everything is kind of uh, tailored a certain way until the audience, like yourself, sees the final product. But in a way, I'm nervous because it has to go well because the audience, again, yourself, will see if it did go well when we were shooting it, when we were preparing for it, when I was writing it, right? And those nerves translate to you being, uh, you caring about the, the craft. And I remember a good client of mine, good friend, uh, I should mention really, uh, voiced that to me. Cause I said, I'm like, why? Like I keep, I've been doing this for like, you know, five years now. I've been doing this since I was 20 really, but like, why do I always feel nerves? Right. Even this production I have, uh, in July. And he told me, he's like, it's cause you care. It's cause you want it to, to go well. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. So I go back to Scorsese, you know, Martin Scorsese, famous director that says, you know, being on a set is the most exciting and terrifying thing you'll ever do. So I always, again, for as a filmmaker, I can relate to that quote, that comment. And I'm sure for you as a comedian, you know what it's like to be both excited and terrified at the same time, uh, or at the very least nervous, right? So um, thanks for being honest and uh, transparent about that, um, about how you really feel when you go on stage. Um, so people can get an idea that this isn't a walk in the park uh, when you're a stand-up, right? Um, but speaking of now bombing, right? Um, you know, you've mentioned it a lot. It's something that uh, a lot of people like myself have heard of. Uh, we all know what it's like to bomb in life, but the bomb on stage to not have a joke hit. Um, we've been through that. You know, I've been through that when I tell a joke with friends and no one laughs. How do you deal with negativity, man? And how do you deal with, I should mention really woke culture, like the, the society we're in, uh, the political views, like how do you overcome that um, in your style of content? Yeah. Um, I mean, dialing, like relating it back to like the, the family values and everything. Um, part of me is like, cause I'm so close with my family, with my fiance, her family, everybody. Right. Part of me doesn't like, I don't get that like satisfaction over shock comedy yeah. or like satisfaction from like treading a line that's like on topics that we don't want to talk about because it could potentially like, I, I, I can appreciate when somebody does that really artistically, but then there are people that are doing so ignorantly or doing so. And it's just like, uh, you know, like I, I don't feel like it's as bad as everyone's made it out to be as far as like, Oh yeah. Freedom of speech. You can't say anything these days. I don't think it's that, but I think of the last 10 years right now is the best it's been because we're all coming out of a pandemic. There are actual wars going on, not to say that there weren't already, but there's <laughs> yeah. one in our face yeah. uh, that we're all paying attention to the pandemic, like fucking really dude. Like, yeah. you know, so like people, yeah. yeah, it's like we're in, we're growing, things evolve and language evolves perspectives evolve we we learn as humans about each other's experiences and we share them and like to say oh uh i say some shit and then someone reacts like this you know it's just like a plus b equals c like i don't know what people are mad at if you say things that are offensive some people will get offended some people yeah. will come at you 
Mm-hmm. It is a fact of life. It's what we do. And the craft of stand-up comedy, the craft of this type of speaking that we do is figuring out how to dance through these topics, portray opinions, portray perspectives while using this, this comedy to break the gas on a situation and flip it back on our own ego. So um, in, uh, in short, uh, <laughs> you know, just, get better <laughs> like, yeah but no if you bomb if a joke bombs then yeah. get better yeah there is the odd time that it's the audience's fault but it almost <laughs> never serves you as a comedian to blame the audience the audience is not in your control you like are that. in your own control yeah so there's no sense thinking it's the audience all the time in because you won't actually reflect on yourself and reflect on the empathy that's required to understand why someone might get upset by all this. Um, and this is like a shaping perspective that I'm, I'm continuing to like grow and develop and learn. Like I'm not perfect. I've Mm -hmm. said things on stage that I cringe at now. And I think about it back then, you know, like have you ever lashed, just interject. Have you ever lashed out at the audience or no? Uh, not like lashed out. I have felt animosity build up inside my body during. Like, has the that set. ever been personal? You know, like comedians where like they start insulting the the, the person heckling. Like, I'm just curious uh, if if being human, like a human being, do you ever like get? Does it ever get to that point? Well, I mean, I used to do this show that used to happen in Toronto every Sunday. It was called The Danger Room. And okay. it was uh, the whole premise of the show was to be the worst show possible okay. and uh, provide the worst situation for a comedian to try and go perform. Uh, they would actively encourage heckling. The best heckle would get a free beer. It was, uh, it was fun. It was turbulent. It was a roller coaster. You'd have some of the biggest, craziest moments and then some of the deepest lows where everything feels like it's shot. <laughs> and so I had some, and that was honestly, you couldn't do that every week because I, I was doing it every week and like it actually made you like depressed. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, I was just going to yeah, say, like, how was your mental health? Yeah, yeah, like it, it messes you up. But I had some of my like worst sets, some really good sets there and um that that those gears that i built in that room of learning how to deal when everything is going against you has helped me just provide a professional show and get paid properly on shows that like have not gone that well outside of the cities like sometimes you're running into a situation where people are heckling people don't give a shit about the show the bar tent bar owner thought it'd be a good idea but none of the audio is done properly and half the people can't hear so they're just all talking and you got to like hit this gear of figuring out how to have we call it a hell gig in the business mm-hmm. and you got to learn how to like hit that gear of like how to show your show the crowd you're having a good time with the situation in front of you for uh 45 minutes <laughs> yeah and uh yeah so like, yeah, I've had those situations. Um, I, I, and it's been like the one time last time I got like animosity building up in the crowd or towards the crowd, you learn how to mask it, but also it's just like one of those things where you're like, fuck, I'm still learning even like, especially when things are not stacked for me, you know, they're most comedy shows you go to in a city in a comedy club everything is going your way people walked right. in they got checked in the, the 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 guy who checked them in told them to turn off their phones told them not to heckle they got seated if they heckled then somebody comes up they go excuse me yeah, yeah. you can't do that yeah. and then uh you continue your thing you flip the audience onto them it's easy it's fun it's good but then you go to these small towns sometimes no yeah. one's been to a comedy show they're just 
at the bar they drink at all the time. The yeah. dude who's yelling at you <laughs> is having sex with the bartender yeah. and his name's Jim and he drinks there seven days a week. Yeah. So do you think they're going to kick Jim out? No. Okay. No. <laughs> now you've got to leap the hurdle of Jim while yeah. you try and do your jokes. And you might be like, oh, I got 45 minutes of jokes. Well, guess what? Every single one is getting cut in half because Jim won't shut the fuck up. Yeah. So like, then you got those situations, which are, can be extremely fun. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. then the odd time, you know, you really have to make it look like you're having fun. And well, uh, tough, yeah, I was just going to say, it just, it toughens you up, right? It, it kind of, obviously you don't want to go to a point where your mental health is in jeopardy, but it reminds me actually of like, again, I listen to Joe Rogan a lot and Joey Diaz, uh, another favorite comedian of mine was on the podcast and he was explaining how, even though he made it to where his success to where he is now, he still goes to the, those kinds of bars you're explaining uh, because it humbles him, but it also reminds him like, uh, that he needs, he needs to still work at his craft. Right. It kind of like, uh, makes him develop that resilience and also give him his edge still. Right. Because you, there's such a thing as softening up too much. Right. If you have, uh, people around you, like you said, I've been to those venues too, you know, sir, turn your phone off, sir. You can't speak loudly, sir. When, when the performance is on and I'm saying to myself, yeah, this is, of course, you gotta be respectful at the end of the day. It's, it's a performance, whatever. But uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know, especially for a comedian that lives off of that, uh, you know, volatility, right? Like you need that sometimes in your life, because imagine if you were uh, coddled that way, like conditioned the whole time. And then that speaker was acting up, uh, you would probably turn red and say, uh, I don't know the guys, I don't know what to do every time I speak it, like, you know, not saying you directly, but you get my point, right? It's like, you can't be too conditioned that everything is working smoothly for you. You have to kind of deal with that adversity. So I, I respect that, Andrew, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but don't don't be the guy that generates it. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're like, <laughs> I'm going to help give these guys theater. This happens in every city I go to. Somebody will cause some shit at some point. And then they'll come up to you after like, you know, I was just, uh, oh, I was no, just giving good. you something they actually have to the balls work to, on. They have the balls to go up to you, look you in oh, the yeah, eye and say, sorry about that. Oh my God. No, no, they don't say sorry. They oh. act like they, they were doing you a favor. Like they were just, really? just busting your balls, gave you that wow. moment, gave you that gas. And you're like, okay, sick. But also, uh, no, that's not how yeah, that that's works. Not, that's, that's like, not I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Cause like, I'm like, yeah, I like love the spontaneous moments, but it's like there are they shouldn't be generated by the audience and if you're doing that it's it's like just know it's never welcomed yeah. it's never appreciated well, it's not respectful and it's human like really breaking it down it's just not you know yeah. something that you would do uh, if you and, were collaborating anywhere. with me you would be on tour with me and you would know moments that are good times to collaborate but 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 that's someone not. that's but that's someone that's in your field that no like like you just said a that's, that's what i mean there. like like yeah. there's those step on punchlines that would have been a real fun experience for the crowd and in doing so they make a worse show out of the show and only because we're professional solid comedians do yeah. we figure out ways to still make those moments fun and then like they still think they're like ah i created that <laughs> yeah it's true it's true man yo like come on man. it's just like the way people people laugh or like because heckling doesn't have to be an insult it just could be like random noises like i heard the odd noise when we were at the last uh kind of venue and you know nima masterfully like kind of said what was that and then he said i don't know what he said some sort of comment and then he said okay i'll i'll take care of it thank you like in other words, it's like, like you said, you have to know how to like bounce it back and just kind of reclaim the focus, even though it can be very distracting. 
Um, but yeah, definitely, I would not uh, recommend anyone, uh, you shouldn't on a human level, uh, be interrupting a show. Like, just imagine if I was like, I'm going to test this guy if he's real good, you know, like, I want to see if he's like a Dave Chappelle and I just start like, hurtling insults at you. Like, it's just, it's just not, uh, not the right thing to do. It's not ethical. So don't do that. Anyone listening, <laughs> be respectful when you attend these shows and uh, you will be given respect back. Um, so speaking of Nima, as mentioned before, uh, he's a frequent collaborator of yours and been developing quite a prominent status too himself in the industry. Um, I'd like to know, like, how did this collaboration form between the two of you? One of those cool things where I, when I said I was, I came full throttle into doing standup uh, in Toronto, I just kind of ran into him at Mike's, just oh, very, okay. very organic. Uh, he was doing Humber, I think at the time, and uh, I would just see him around. Amazing. And then just like one thing after another, man, he's been an inspiration on a lot of levels for uh, everyone here in Toronto. I think I can safely say that, but for right. sure myself as well, like uh, he, he has been crushing it online for a lot longer than a lot of people like way before the pandemic. Some of my earliest videos I've done, like they were with him uh, and me just kind of like learning about, uh, about how to create this like content with him. Um, and it, it's been really cool. It's been an awesome journey to watch like, how far he's come and it's it's really like i i'm so excited for him every time i see like the new stuff that like comes his way he's been really getting some cool opportunities and uh i just yeah i'm i it feels great to have these peers around me that yeah. are all doing so well as well and they're yeah, such I, hard workers and such a nice person as well yeah no for sure i i've met him for the first time in person because i've met him through this platform uh, by reaching out to do a podcast and kindly he did it twice for me and it was interesting because we did it a year apart um, I was unplanned right but in that year it's amazing uh, just to prove not only to myself but to the audience that you can progress if you're consistent and what I mean by that is that the first time when I interviewed him I always was fascinated with his Gary Vee impressions and I thought it was one of his underrated impressions I said you know no one's giving you any respect no attention what's going on like you sure Gary Vee didn't DM you and he's like, no, man, he's like, I might have heard from D-Rock, but at the team, no one really like reached out to me. And I said, OK, so I said, what, what does that mean? Right. And then a year later, you start seeing, you know, they follow each other. He's going to VCon. And I'm saying to myself, wow, like it really is possible. And I told him on the last time I had the podcast that, you know, my, my hero being Tarantino, like, obviously, I don't know if I'm going to meet my hero, but I like to know that it's possible. You know what I mean? That if you really are consistent, if you really pursue what is what's truth to you, right? What, what's your passion? Um, you'll find your way there, right? You might not know the exact plan because he didn't, right? There was a lot of ups and downs, you know, his TikTok getting banned. And then next thing you know, he, he's got to meet his hero, right? So uh, very, very commendable. Like, you know, that's why I brought him up because I see you guys collaborating and I encourage future collaborations between the two of you. You guys have a great on-screen chemistry. You guys are hilarious. My favorite bit is, uh, I told you when I met you, the Gary Vee going to heaven, <laughs> you acting as God. <laughs> I thought that was beautifully well done. And it's not just funny, it's acted well. You know, like a director looks at that, like especially you as God, like just looking confused, like, what do you mean I'm God? <laughs> yeah. It was just like, uh, great. Yeah. He's like, do you have blueberries up here? He's like, are you kidding? I have everything. <laughs> so like, I, I love that, man. So keep at it. Um, do you have a favorite skit yourself? that you've created uh, with them that, that we've done together um i really liked doing the we've done two of them the uh persian meeting your persian oh your right. persian girlfriend's dad yeah yeah um, because too, I, right? 
yeah like because my my fiance is half persian uh, oh yeah so half it's, it's fun she's half persian half german nice um so yeah it was like fun to like take some of the things i've learned obviously from being around her and like some persian culture Sweet. stuff and then uh just like reveal the white boy kind of coming into all that that 100%. i've clearly played like fish out of water right <laughs> yeah yeah and you're like uh even just like pronouncing uh what is this bar barbary it's, it's barbary <laughs> like it's like i probably still even if you're persian listening being like well he still said it oh like yeah i wouldn't boy. know anything too even when he thought I, he said it right yeah um but yeah so that was really fun because it's like relatable and then key uh, like nima's like character is just like so fun to play off of yeah um, and it's like, it's really great to like, it's so much fun to collaborate with uh, people that are doing stuff. Like, that's what I've realized. Like, I, I am constantly doing stuff, making my own stuff. But when I agree to collaborate with somebody, then I start writing and I start expanding off of the things that they all do already to see like where we can like intersect and stuff. And so Nima has like such like a, a myriad of, of characters that you can be like, okay, cool. Let's write something for the Persian character. Let's write something for Gary V. Let's write something. And so yeah. it's just like, it makes it so much better because you can prepare properly. And then like, we'll bang out like three TikToks and three sketches all in like one day and it, uh, yeah. when, when we work together. So yeah. it's, um, it's sick. That's amazing. Yeah. The litany of possibilities. That's what it is, right? Like the more you, and, and I like that you said that is when you collaborate with someone, especially someone as, uh, you know, dedicated as Nima, you can't help but think of ideas for yourself. Right. Um, and you see how also you're inspired uh, by these people in the industry, right? You see how they do it. Um, you know, how, like you were telling me at the comedy club, how they, um, you know, how he sets up the, the shots and how he like wants to execute it efficiently. Um, you take that also uh, from a technical perspective, right? And you kind of apply it to your own videos. So it's always like a learning process. And I think that's really the importance of collaborating. Um, so yeah, definitely looking forward to more skips uh, with you and Nima uh, and those characters you can deliver. So um, before we go, I want to know though, uh, what do you see next in your career as a comedian in terms of content or maybe other avenues of comedy you like to pursue? Uh, right now, I'm just working on pumping out as much stand-up and uh also men news men's most trusted news source yeah. uh, uh right now those are my two focuses uh, i'm right. trying to um balance out and like well like tiktok's my largest platform right now and then i'm working on my youtube right now really uh intensely trying to because i'm seeing stand-ups starting to get a lot more rewarded on youtube it seems yeah. like a lot of like professional comics are putting on their uh, actual full specials on there and i've been getting like a little bit more traction this past month uh on there i still have a very small channel but uh, I've, i'm experiencing like a good amount of growth this past right. like month so right now like i have so many sets filmed because i've been filming all the time all of the tours and um i'm like learning to work with a video editor now because it's just like i i know how to edit but i don't have the time <laughs> yeah like, no i believe it i gotta yeah. like i gotta edit this stand up i gotta write sketches write stand up i gotta perform stand up i gotta plan tours book tours go on the tours like it's like so like having i'm learning oh, now so you don't is have, like you don't have like a manager or anything like that like you i am everything. everything wow good for you buddy. <laughs> so it's like uh right now i'm learning how to uh what do you even what's the word um like pawn off no i'm learning Manage. how to work like like when you give out delegate 
delegating, okay, okay, yeah. learning how to delegate work and learning how to rely on other people in order to continue and free up time, which is a cool place to get to. Like I, I know early, earlier twenties, I'm like trying to fill the time. I feel yeah. bored. I don't know what right? to do. Yeah. I don't know how to do. And yeah. now I'm trying to like, let, I feel like I'm in a new process of like, it's going to be constantly learning how to delegate off so that I can free up time to do other things. And um, yeah, so I'm going to be pumping out way more clips uh, from my standup, from my, my tours. And I'm really hoping that I can gain traction from that so that uh, I have a, uh, like the, it's, it's interesting, like the only goal now because of the platforms and how they are is like build fans, build a following. Yeah. And that's all I think any standup should be focused on or content creator. Cause like, you're just trying to build your following and, and build like create stuff that people like and find those people and uh all of the other stuff like i have not really been that uh supported by any industry um right. in in canada at least and uh or, or any real industry and um it's beautiful because we're at a time a point in time where there are other avenues so yeah. um yeah I, I eventually I'll, I'll like build something else uh, i have like this production company in the states that's uh asking me to make some shows for them with oh, uh, there you go. some of that time that i don't have yeah, so yeah. uh i'm yeah. figuring out how to do that and uh we'll sometimes see what's you gotta to come make, yeah man sometimes you just got to make the time for those things like prioritize um i always often use you know a method in university where i often tell my younger sister like pick and choose your battles right like you don't have to put all your energy maybe into this so you can like divert it to this, right? Because at the end of the day, you're only human, right? You're one person. Um, just don't stretch yourself too thin, right? Um, but you you got this. I know you do. And uh, I'm sure I'm very excited to, to for what's to come because um, I enjoy your style of content. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, like you said, there's no excuse. There's a lot of platforms. One thing I wanted to mention too is when you were saying how, you know, it's not really like the audience's fault and like I have to take it upon myself. Um, Gary V often said, and it's very true is the market will decide. So my, by saying that notion is that you're doing all these things, you know, you're hustling every day, you know, you're not slacking at the end of the day, Andrew, you could just say to yourself, I'm doing everything that I can. And the market will decide whether I'm good or not. Right. Uh, you can obviously improve yourself and get better and listen to the market, what they want, but in some ways it's kind of like, it's up to you. Uh, to get to a certain point and the market uh, once which they are uh, evidently uh, will grab onto, you know, whatever you produce and whatever you put out and they will show you the possibilities of where you can take your career. hundred percent. Awesome. So Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast to share your journey. You're probably the first comedian. Well, I should mention Nima Nazari. Sorry about that. <laughs> but you're probably uh, first comedian that I really delved into um, and really understood like the process of uh, the entire journey. Um, just seeing that you've been dedicating so much time to this craft, uh, very inspirational, very insightful, I should say. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Appreciate it. Of course. All right. So thanks again, Andrew Packer. Thank you again, everyone for listening and we'll talk soon.